Thank you, Combined Choirs. We're going to talk about those giants again in just a moment. You know, I always, I always get a kick out of watching the kids leave to go to children's church. They're always so joyful. You can read on their faces. Good, we don't have to stay in here and listen to that guy that's going to come back up there later. Let me out of here. But I was sitting right there. I think, well, I think it was a little boy. I'm not sure. It happened so quick. I'm not sure. I, I, th I think he missed his cue to leave and realized he was about to be left. And, buddy, he streaked across there like lightning. I, it almost scared me. I didn't know where that came from out of the, out of the corner. But you, you, watch, you watch these kids sometimes. They just, good, we get out of here. Uh, take your Bibles. First, excuse me, Second Samuel. Second Samuel 21. You ready for your test, I promised? Oh, that was joyful. That was, y'all sounded confident, didn't you? Um, I'm not going to give you a test this morning, but I am going to quickly review. Last week I started a series of messages just simply entitled Facing the Giants. We talked about giants in the land. I introduced it by telling you and giving you a principle that really is true, how the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And uh, I gave you, uh, we talked about how uh, I was going to reveal to you in the Old Testament, uh, the New Testament truth of how we can live triumphantly in Christ and we can live in his abundance and in his fullness and we can walk in his victory. And that is obviously illustrated to us quite often throughout the Old Testament. One of the ways is in the study that we did begin to look at about giants in the Scriptures. And it's interesting when you study through the Bible, you find the topic of giants and you find them appearing uh, all throughout the pages of the Old Testament. Uh, we, we looked at Genesis 6 and then we looked at Numbers 13. We looked at 1 Samuel 17. We looked at 2 Samuel 21 and we introduced to you the giants and we saw them. And every time we saw giants, they were doing something to keep God's people from experiencing God's best. And I don't know what giant you're fighting today, but we all fight them. Sometimes we fight a big Goliath. Sometimes we fight many subtle giants. We're going to talk about those this morning. But we're all fighting giants. And those giants the enemy uses to keep us, try to keep us from being all that God wants us to be. And he tries to use these giants in our lives to keep us from living triumphantly in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important that you know how to recognize them and it's important that you know how to defeat them. Uh, last week I ended up the time that we had by giving you three quick principles. I'm only going to mention those for a moment and then I want to get to the four giants that David later fought. But here are the four, three truths that I gave you. Truth number one, giants are always at war with us. And again, we saw giants uh, in a number of places in the Old Testament. When we looked at the life of King David, uh, we saw David fighting Goliath at the age of 17. But yet, many years later, at the age of somewhere around 78, David's not fighting one giant, he's fighting four giants. And giants all are always at war with us. Again, the enemy wants to use giants in our lives to steal, to kill, and destroy us, to keep us from experiencing God's fullness, fullness and God's best for our hearts and lives. Giants are at war with us, and we must face our giants, and we must allow God to defeat them in our lives. We're going to talk about that in detail next week as we continue this series. 
Uh, the second truth I gave you last week was this. The giants of our youth will always give birth to the giants of our old age if we don't properly deal with our giants along the way. And that's just a truth that you need to understand. We see it in the Old Testament because David killed Goliath. But really, I think, and I shared it with you last week, the reason David picked up five stones instead of just one was because Goliath had four sons. And if David would have done what he should have done at that point when he killed Goliath, he should have killed Goliath's other four sons. And if he, listen to me carefully, if he had killed the other sons in his youth, he would have never had to face them in his old age. And oftentimes, the giants that we face, the older we get, stem from giants of our youth that we never destroyed properly. We never put out of our life. We never corrected. We never got freedom from. We never got victory over the struggle with these giants. And the truth of the matter is now, instead of fighting the older we get, one giant, we find ourselves fighting multiple giants in our hearts and our lives. By the way, the New Testament truth that is revealed concerning that is found in Galatians 6 verses 7 and 8. Paul writes and he says these, do not be deceived. And by the way, there's only a couple of times in the scriptures that Paul starts out what he's about to say about with those words, do not be deceived. But when he does that, he's got something really important to say. And obvious, it's obvious when he says that it's easy to be deceived about this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. This is serious what he's about to say. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit reap eternal life. And that New Testament principle illustrates, teaches the same truth about this matter of destroying the giants of our youth, so we don't have to fight giants later on down the road. We, we're going to reap what we sow. I know I've shared this story, at least part of it, before with you. When, when I, I grew up in the city, and uh, here this city boy goes to the first church I ever had the privilege of serving was down in farm country of Georgia. And uh, one, of the, one of my good friends down there wanted to teach this city slicker how to grow uh, a garden, which believe me, I didn't know anything about it. And to be quite honest with you, didn't want to learn anything, but he insisted and he tried to teach me. And there was a lot of stuff he did teach me. And I'm not sure I learned a whole lot, but uh, he did, he did teach me. But one thing I did learn along the way is what we call the law of the harvest. That's what Paul's referring to here. You reap what you sow. You can't get around that principle. If you take a kernel of corn and sow it, what are you going to reap? Corn. If you take a peach seed and sow it, what are you going to reap? Peaches. You reap what you sow. Will you ever plant a peach seed and reap watermelon from it? No. It's against the laws of nature. You reap what you sow. So it is in the spiritual realm of life and living. But this law of the harvest not only teaches us you always reap what you sow, it also teaches us you always reap later than you sow. I mean, you don't take a kernel of corn and plant it this afternoon and tonight for dinner have corn on the cob from it, do you? It takes, what, three months maybe 
uh, 10, 12, 14 weeks for it to grow and come to fruition so that you can eat the fruit of that seed that you planted. You always reap what you sow. You always reap later than you sow. And here's the third part of that. You always reap more than you sow. I mean, think about it. You take one kernel of corn and you plant it in the ground and you wait three months. How many kernels do you reap? One? Oh, no, no. I don't know how many kernels on a cob of uh, ear of corn, but it's a lot. And here's this law of the harvest that Paul says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. You'll always reap what you sow. You always reap later than you sow. You always reap more than you sow. And the truth of the matter is this, folks. If you don't, you're going to reap what you sowed in life. And if you don't deal with the giants that are in your life, you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap later than you sow. You're going to reap more than you sow. I've watched, in fact, I've had to deal with my own life. I've watched other people. The issues that many adults deal with today aren't things that happened to them yesterday. They're things that happened probably all the way back to their youth. They never reconciled them. They never got them right. They never dealt with the seed of sin that was planted or, or whatever it was they got involved in. And as a result, now they've lived many years of life and they're reaping what they sowed. They're reaping later than they sowed. They're reaping more than they sowed. It works in the spiritual realm. We all probably have heroes in the faith that we look up to and, and we see their walk with the Lord and we go, boy, I wish, I wish I had a walk with Jesus like they have. Well, if you could listen to their story, that didn't happen overnight. They didn't become mature in their walk with Jesus overnight. It came from a lifetime of sowing and reaping. They're, they're reaping now what they sowed. They're reaping later than they sowed. They're reaping more than they sowed because they sowed the right things. But folks, if you sow the wrong things, just like David had to fight four giants in his old age, now he is fighting and one giant at his young age, he's fighting four giants in his old age. You always reap what you sow. And then here was the third truth I gave you. I'm just going to mention it. And it was simply this. And it's simple, but it's profound. David needed help to defeat the giants in his life. And we'll see that next week. I'm going to show you um, what it said about that. But I also want to show you what help God gave David. It's a graphic picture of God's grace and God giving us and equipping us with what we need to defeat giants when they come, come our way. So that's what we'll look at next week. Now for this morning, let's talk about identifying the giants. Identifying giants in our life. Well, let's talk about Goliaths first. Identifying the Goliaths in your life. Well, you don't need any help doing that. Every one of us in this room, you know what your Goliath is or Goliaths. You, you, know, you know what you struggle with the most. It, it might be a host of things. It might be things that you've dealt with all your life. It might be a stronghold of sin. It might be some habit that you wish you could break. It might be some attitude of heart that you know is not right. There may be some feeling of unforgiveness. It may be some spirit of rebellion. You, you know what your Goliath is. And just like when David fought Goliath at 17, he was very bold. He was very brash. Everybody knows about Goliath. Most people see Goliath. 
And the same thing's true in our life. Either it's true sometimes for those who are young or sometimes who come out of a lifetime of sin and now they're young in their early walk with the Lord. The giants we fight are obvious. We know what they are. Other people know what they are. And they must be defeated. But you have to identify, and I'm going to talk about that more today, and I'm going to talk about it more next week. You've got to be willing to admit you've got a problem with this giant. And David did, and he dealt with it accordingly. He, he met it with confidence, God's confidence. He destroyed Goliath that was in his life. That's the attitude of heart we must have. But it's interesting also to note that a little bit later on in David's life, we find David fighting not one giant, he's fighting four. And it's these four giants I want to talk about for a few minutes because I believe they point us towards the giants that all of us will face the older we get in our walk with the Lord Jesus. And by the way, these giants will destroy us if we're not careful. And these giants will destroy a church if you're not careful. 2 Samuel 21, 15 to 22. I tell you what, uh, you've sat there a while. It's a little warm in here this morning. How about stand to your feet so you don't go to sleep on me this morning? All right. Let me read. We ought to stand for God's word anyway, shouldn't we? So Samuel, 2 Samuel 21, 15 to 22. Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him. And as they fought against Philistines, David became weary. Then Ishbibinab, or Benab, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight, was girded with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, so that you do not extinguish the lamp of Israel. Now it came about after the battle so that uh, there was war again with the Philistine at Gob. Then Sebekai the Hushatite struck down Saph, who was among the descendants of the giant. There was war with the Philistines again at Gob. And Elohim, the son of Jerah, Orjum, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There was war at Gath again, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also had been born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Simei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servant. So, Lord, help us as we identify these giants this morning. Help us to see the giants in our lives. Lord, help us to understand how we can have victory over them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Young man, he's fighting one giant, very bold, brash. 78 years of old, we find David fighting four giants. These giants were very subtle. Most people don't even know David ever fought these giants. But folks, I really believe that God put them in there and he gave us their names and their description to be able to show us the type of giants and to help us identify the giants that we, many of us, will face the older that we get in our walk with the Lord Jesus. You know, again, from pastoring the church, and one, one of the things I told the early worship service this morning that, that bothered me about these verses, that these are these verses speaking of an older person, and I is one now, and it's, it's hard to read these things, and I've got one finger going out there today in what I'm about to say, and there's three coming right back at me, 
And I've, I've noticed over, over the years in ministry, young people age-wise, young people in their walk with Jesus, they're usually fighting Goliaths, open giants, brash giants. Sometimes it's very easy to see the giants they're facing. But then the older you get, the older you get in life, the older you get spiritually, you're still fighting giants. They just become subtle. And if you're not careful, it's very easy to be deceived about these very giants. Yet even in their subtleness, they're out to destroy your walk with God and your usefulness in God's kingdom. In Old Testament days, in, in the Hebrew language, names were very important. If you don't believe that, just do a study in the Old Testament of the names of God. Yahweh, Elohim, uh, multiple names of God. Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah, and there's multiple names. All the names of God are descriptive. All the names of God mean something. And God put them there to teach us important truths about God. Many of the Bible characters we read about in the scriptures, their names mean something very special. And it's by their name that we can learn truth about them. So you know it's the same way here with these giants. In fact, four giants David faced when he got old. We're given three names. We're given a description of the fourth. They all four teach us about the nature of these older giants that we'll face the older we get. Let's take a look at them this morning. By the way, I wish I could claim credit for this. I'm not smart enough to know all this, but I remember sitting through a conference many years ago and having the teacher uh, take the Hebrew and explain it to me. And I'm going to tell you what, buddy, it just opened up a world to me because it was speaking to me. And God just used it to grab my heart. I hope you'll use it to grab yours this morning. Let's look at these four giants. Giant number one, verse 16. The giant of Ishbi Benob. Man, you'd have to be a giant to have a name like that, wouldn't you? Some name. Do you know what his name means? In the Hebrew language, Ishbi Benob means my dwelling is on the heights. I belong above. He is the giant of pride. The giant of pride. And do you know what? The older you get, the longer you walk with the Lord. If you're not careful, that old giant of pride is going to do all he can to keep you from having God's best in your life. Do you know what the original sin was on this earth? The original sin in the garden of Adam and Eve? Some people say it was the sin of disobedience when Adam and Eve took the fruit. No, it wasn't disobedient. They did. They were disobedient, but that was not the original sin. The original sin was pride. When Adam and Eve decided they wanted what they wanted instead of what God wanted, and sin entered this world because of pride. And folks, every sin that mankind can commit finds its roots in the sin of pride. Even before pride entered on the human race, 
in the heavenlies before this earth was ever made as it was. We are told in the book of Isaiah, the 14th chapter, about how one by the name of Lucifer, God's most beautiful and anointed cherubim in heaven, how he fell from his anointed place in heaven because, and if you read through Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, you'll find five times in those verses Lucifer said, I want to be God. And he was cast from heaven. First sin on this earth, pride. And every sin that you can commit and every sin that I can commit, it finds its roots in the root of pride. One person I read described pride in this manner. Let us give you the history of pride in three small chapters. The beginning of pride was in heaven. The continuance of pride is on earth. The end of pride is in hell. And every person who is in hell will be there because they were too proud to accept God's answer for their sin problem, his son, Jesus. Dr. Warren Wiersbe said the following about pride. Satan's desire is to work in the local church, to hinder its ministry, and to do this, he must work, and work in and through Christians or professed Christians who are part of their fellowship. Pride is one of his chief weapons. If he can get a pastor proud of his preaching, a Sunday school teacher proud of their class growth, a church officer proud of their experience and leadership, then Satan has a foothold from which to launch his attack. King David was brought, brought death and sorrow to Israel simply because he was proud. Pride opens the door to every other sin. For once we are more concerned with our reputation than our character, there is no end to the things we will do to just make ourselves look good before others. Let me ask you something this morning. How many times has God moved in your heart to witness to a person and you wouldn't do it because you were more concerned about what they would think about you than being obedient to God. Let me ask you this. How many times has the Spirit of God moved on you to respond in some outward visible way in a worship service, but you were too proud and you wouldn't do it because you didn't know what others would think about you? You sat there like a wooden Indian. Let me ask you this morning, how many times has God moved on your heart to respond during an invitation time and you didn't do it? Because you were concerned about what somebody might think about you walking down that aisle and getting right with God. The sin and the giant of pride has you by the throat. Pride keeps us from obeying God. Pride keeps us from confessing our sin. Pride keeps us from sharing our faith. Pride grieves and quenches the Spirit of God in our hearts and our lives. And ladies and gentlemen, that giant of pride has got to be defeated if you're going to walk in God's fullness. And the older you get, the older you get, and again, I'm, I'm, I, I is one, the more that giant grabs you by the throat and the more proud you become until God gets it and breaks your heart. Ishbi Benob, the giant Pride, giant number two, verse 18. New American Standard calls him Saph, S-A-P-H. 
The King James Version calls him Scipii. His name literally means, I wish this got easier. His name means double face, hypocrisy, lies. He is the giant of hypocrisy. And if the giant of pride doesn't get you, the giant of hypocrisy is coming hot after you. And by the way, pride will always lead to hypocrisy in the life of the believer. Well, how, how easy it is for us to say one thing with our lips and confess something else with our lives. And the truth of the matter is, the older we get, the more difficulty we have with this giant of hypocrisy if we don't destroy him when he seeks to attack us. I, I know I've said this before, but let me say it again because it, 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 it well needs to be said here. You know where the easiest place to live the Christian life is? It's right here for the hour and 10, 15, 20 minutes that you're here. Amen? I mean, anybody cussing here this morning? Anybody drunk? Anybody have a knockdown drag out fight with your spouse in here this morning? Some of you did on the way to church this morning, but you, you didn't. Anybody this morning been ugly to another person here? Oh, you probably were pretty nice towards your neighbor. But you know, in here is not really a good test of where you stand with God. In here is really not a good test of where you are with the Lord. Let me ask you this morning. When, when you walk out those back doors back there and you go out into the world, that's where you put to test your true faith. How do you live at work? How do your fellow employees see you? as they watch you live. Young people, how you act at school? Do they see Jesus in you? Or do you act like everybody else? What about Friday night at the ball field? Do they see Christ being lived out of you? Or do you act like some of them, some of them wild people? <laughs> The true test of that one is when you react to an umpire. That's when you get the true test of your Christian faith. Amen or on me? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's when your Christianity is put to the test. And folks, for so many people, that old giant of hypocrisy has had us by the throat for so long. We, we do not practice what we preach. And as a result, we've brought disdain upon the church and Christ himself because we have not lived out what we say we believe. I remember Pastor Peter Lord saying one time this, we practice every day what we believe. The rest is just religious talk. And I got news for you. I don't, I don't know any way to put it, just black and white. If what you confess you believe isn't as real when you walk out those back doors as it is while you sit in here, you don't have the right thing. 
A giant's got you and he's choking life out of you. I remember many years ago, a lady, first church I pastored, uh, this was a lady, she was a, um, a, a worker in our church. Her and her family had been lifelong members of Friendship Baptist Church in Cullioca, Tennessee. She had served probably on just about every position in the church that a woman could serve on. She was there all the time. Um, she had some issues in her life. She didn't, I won't go into that, but she had many issues. But I remember during a revival meeting we had, uh, watching this lady during an invitation time, came down during the invitation. She's headed to me. I, I was not preaching. I was just down receiving people. Our evangelist had spoken. And when she came to me, I had no clue why she was coming. So I asked her, why, why are you here? And then we'll forget what she said. She said, Ken, I am tired of living a lie. I say I'm one thing by my presence here and I live entirely different. The truth of the matter is I got, I, well, I joined this church as a 12-year-old girl and if the truth be made known, all I did was follow my friends by, down that aisle. Jesus never changed my heart. I never really trusted him as my Lord and my Savior. It really doesn't mean anything to, to me. As a result, my life is falling apart around me and I'm tired of living a lie. I want to get saved this morning. And that old giant of hypocrisy was destroyed. He let her go. Life came to that lady and Jesus changed her life drastically. That old giant of hypocrisy, he'll choke the life out of you if you're not careful. Third giant this morning, you find the giant called Goliath the Gittite, verse 19. An unusual name, it's connected to his father Goliath. In the Hebrew language, his name means to revel or advertise in a disgraceful sense what his name really means. He is the giant of gossip. The giant of gossip. Uh, again, the older we get, if you're not careful, that old giant of gossip can grab you up by the throat and destroy you, your testimony, and he can use you to destroy a church. I told the early service this morning of, of all these years of pastoring, do you know what sin I have seen destroy churches quicker and greater than any other sin in the church? It's not adultery. It's not some of the biggies that we think of. It's the sin of gossip. And you know what I've noticed? It's not the children who do it. Amen or on me? Uh, as y'all well know, we have three grandchildren. Um, I, I got a picture after church if you want to see them. I, I, I should have put them up here when we on the PowerPoint this morning. Our uh, twin, your four-year-old twins at Christmas time, we were at my house and my 91-year-old mother came to be with us at Christmas. And obviously, Riley's mama, uh, my, my daughter-in-law, had told the twins, y'all make sure you speak to Meemaw when you get in there. Meemaw's going to be there. You make sure you go talk to Meemaw. 
So sure enough, um, when they got into the house, my mother was sitting in one of the chairs, and um, Riley goes to Meemaw. And for 20 minutes, 20 minutes, Riley talked to Meemaw. She did not come up for air. She did not stop. She did not let my mother respond. She just, I have no clue. She just talked to Meemaw. Well, later, I asked my mom about it. I told her how cute it looked. She said, well, Ken, it was cute. She's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. But I have to be honest with you, I didn't understand a word she said to me. <laughs> I have no clue what she told my mother. But can I tell you what I know she didn't tell her? She didn't gossip. Children don't do that. They haven't learned that vile sin yet. But folks, I have watched gossip literally destroy churches because somebody with loose lips lets things fly without any thought of there being any truth about it. It's interesting what all the Bible has to say about it. I'll read, I'll read you some verses in just a second. By the way, I heard, I heard um, uh, and the truth of the matter is, gossip usually starts like this. Somebody will say, did you hear about so-and-so? Or, did you know that? I heard of a lady that said she only told secrets that had been told her to two types of people. Those who asked and those who did not. I also read once about a preacher that overheard talk between two men in the church hallway once. One of the men was overheard that said, listen carefully because I can only tell this once. I promise not to repeat it. <laughs> Proverbs twenty nineteen: he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. Proverbs 26, 20. For the lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is, and the New American Standard uses the word whisper, but the word is actually the same word where we get our word gossip, where there is no gossip, contention quiets down. Romans 1, verses 28 and 29. Now, do you know the context here? Paul is describing the reprobate. Paul is describing the one that is totally of a depraved mind and heart. Listen to what he says. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. And then it says this, they are gossips. And the older we get, if we're not careful, that old giant of gossip can grab you by the throat and use you to do more destruction than you can ever imagine. Destruction in a family, destruction in a business, destruction in a country, destruction in a church.
Here's the last one, then I'll wrap this up this morning. John number four, verse 20. Interesting thing about this giant, he doesn't have a name. He probably has a name, but for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit didn't seem fit to give us his name. Instead, the Holy Spirit gives us a description of this giant. He doesn't do it for any of the other three. He's the six-fingered giant. He's the six-toed. Is that a word? Toed? Has six toes? Toed? Is that right? Well, I just made it up if it didn't. It's, it's, it's right now. So anyway, he has six toes on each feet. Though we don't have his name by his description, I think it's fair to say he is the giant of greed. He's the giant of a powerful grasp. And while a lot can be said about that, I really think this, the older we get, if we're not careful, we want, we want to hold on to the things of this world. And I've noticed, again, I've seen it in my own life. The older you get, you either get more generous or you get more stingy. How many, how many people do we know who are godly older people who give you the shirt off their back because they've learned the joy of being generous and they've learned the joy of giving? But also, how many older people do you know wouldn't give you a dime out of their pocket if you were dying and needed it? And part of the reason is they, they're, they're, they're so hanging on to the things of this world. Hey, folks, I got news for you. You're not going to take any of it with you when you go anyway. You ever seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul? Hey, I don't care who you are the moment you take your last breath. You don't have anything anymore except what you sent ahead to heaven. Naked you came into this world, naked you will leave it. We'll all be on common ground. And only what you sent ahead in glory that you gave to God's kingdom and God's purposes, that's all you'll ever carry with you. You better make sure that six-fingered giant doesn't have you by the throat, the giants of hypocrisy, gossip, and greed, and they intended to kill David. All right, what do we do about it? Next week, we'll, the entire message is going to be how we deal with those giants. But let me finish by giving you three key words for application, and I'll wrap it up, and we're praying. Number word, word number one, recognize. If you're going to get victory over these giants, recognize. You have to be willing to recognize and admit your struggle with your giant. You will never defeat the giant, regardless of whether he is a Goliath or whether he's one of these giants we just talked about. You'll never defeat it if you're not willing to admit it. And I, again, folks, this is where it gets hard, particularly for older people. I mean, a person who is eaten up with pride has a hard time admitting to themselves and then admitting to God, God, forgive me for my proud for spirit. You'll never get free from it till you admit it. You've got to recognize it. You've you got to be willing to admit you're, you're needy. That means humbling yourself. That means allowing God to convict you. That means agreeing with God when he does convict you. That's what convict, conviction means. And when I confess my sin, confession is agreeing with God about the conviction. But you'll never get freed from it until you're really willing to recognize it. Word number two, repent. Once 
you recognize your giants, you've got to be willing to repent of it. Repent of your sin in the matter. Any of those giants I just mentioned, a Goliath. Whatever that Goliath might mean to you. You've got to be willing to repent. Repent means if I'm walking this way, I turn and I walk this way. It means to go a brand new different direction in life. And if you mean business when God begins to deal with your heart, you can't walk the same way as you once walked. Word number three, rely. If you're going to defeat the giants in your life, you're going to have to rely on God through the person of the Holy Spirit to deliver you and to set you free. You need to realize it's not by might nor by power, but by God's Spirit that we'll ever get freed from any of these giants that come our way. You have to realize you don't have the resources to defeat those giants on your own, but He does, and He'll give them to you if you'll humble yourself and ask Him. We'll deal with that next week. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the picture that we find here of giants that we all have to deal with. And God, if we're not careful, just as these giants in David's time wanted and intended to kill him, to snuff out life, to destroy his youthfulness, Lord, at the same time, those giants in our lives mean to do the same thing. So, Lord, grant us the grace today to see those giants, to recognize them. And then, God, grant us your grace to be able to repent confess them and can repent of our sin in the matter and turn from them to walk a brand new direction under the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh God, you desire victory for us more than we desire it. Help us to want it as much for us as you want for us. If you're here this morning, you've never been saved. Only way you'll ever begin to destroy the giants in your life is through God's victorious Son, Jesus Christ. The one who loved you enough who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death on Calvary's cross, shed his blood so that your sins might be forgiven after being put into a, a grave three days later, rose victoriously so that he might give you his victory. It's only through him that you'll ever come to victory over anything in your life. So if you're not a child of God this morning, that's where you must begin. It comes when you in simple childlike faith trust in God's provision, believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was, and that you confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible tells us, shall be saved. If you've never done that, we want to help you this morning. As soon as we stand and begin to sing a hymn of invitation, if you're here today and need to give your life to Christ, I'm going to be standing down front. Would you just simply step out from where you'll be standing as we sing? Make your way down front. Take me by the hand and say, Pastor Ken, I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus this morning. We'll have one of our staff members share with you from God's Word how you can do that thing this very morning. You can walk out of here, a changed man or a changed woman, all because of Jesus in you. Would you come today? Christian, if God has spoken to your heart, this altar is open. If you need to come for prayer, if you can't kneel here at this altar, you can come to one of these front pews and sit and pray for a moment. But if God has spoken to you, you respond. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'll be glad to do that, or one of our staff will be glad to do that. You respond if God has spoken to your heart. So, Father, help us even now as we respond to what we've heard, and we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Lead leads us in our singing. You respond this morning as God has spoken to your heart.